This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. We put together all the information that we can and jam it into about 90 minutes. And by the time you leave us today, you will know everything that's worth knowing. And we are going to be just regaling you with all kinds of stuff that's going on, not the least of which we'll be talking about sports here in just a minute. Very highly anticipated day. And right now, though, we're going to move straight ahead over to... uh, over to Miss Littlefield here, who is telling us about a very interesting discussion you had in a Marriott kitchen. Tell us about that. I did. You know, I was in San Antonio this last week for the American Sheep Industries Annual Convention, and I had this harebrained idea of meeting up with their executive chef, and he was more than willing to do an interview with me as we talked about an entire convention that was focused around lamb. So every meal that they served had a different cut of lamb, and something that his team and he himself said they don't get a lot of time to enjoy and be able to cook meals with and so we talked about that and ways that we can cook lamb at home and the cool thing is after all was said and done he told me he says this is now going on our menu selections when we hold other banquets and conventions so lamb is really coming on as a as kind of the new meat isn't it it is it's very popular and Especially this month, February is is Lamb Lovers Month, so a great opportunity to try some lamb, uh, maybe even close to Valentine's Day. All right, we'll listen for that at 1245. What else does the Ag Team bring us today? Shaley's going to talk with Heidi Hillhouse at UNL. They've got a wetlands grazing study, so she's going to give some more information on that. And then at 117, NAYA, they're looking for some kids. Kristen Cam from the Department of Agriculture joins Shaley about what you can do if you're a junior or a senior in high school. And N-A-Y-A, excuse me, N-A-Y-I. Right. Okay, very good. We'll listen for all of that. And we want to remind everybody there's lots of great farm shows going on here as we get to the latter part of the week and through the weekend. So we'll listen for all that information, Susan. Thank you. Thank you. And we go over to Brandon Bennett, who gets the sports seat today. Big, big day. Big day for lots of your favorite college football teams and even some of your not-so-favorite college football teams because today is the official signing day. You can have all of those recruits that say, yeah, I'll join your team, but today is the day to sign on the on the dotted line. A big four-star star get for the Huskers. We're also going to talk a little bit of a Husker basketball and Loper football as well. And the Indianapolis Colts, Colts thought they had a head coach. Not so fast, Uh-oh. my friend. Oh, yeah, it went wrong. Yeah, it uh, went. It went for bad. We'll get into it. Went sideways, huh? It went sideways, and then in reverse. <laughs> Yikes! Okay, we'll find out more during sports with Brandon. And here is Bob with the business. And we're looking at uh, kind of some solid footing stocks moving solidly higher in midday trading on Wall Street. The market stabilizing following three days of volatility and lots of folks were pretty concerned about that banks retailers industrial companies posting gains today helping indexes claw back some of the ground they lost in steep drops on friday and monday meanwhile boeing added three percent and jp morgan chase rose 1.4 percent and uh, the gains were broad two stocks rose for everyone that fell on the new york stock exchange so the dow's 30 industrials up about 319 points right now. A lot of the uh, market uh, concerned and a lot of investors uh, concerned about the recent volatility. All right. Well, nice to see after a little hiccup there that your 401k may be okay for the day. It's all coming up on Midday. 
Well, look who's back in the hot seat. Our uh, ag information, as far as the weather goes, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, Rankin Dealer, and brought to you by none other than Paul Perkins. And it was not easy coming back to much colder weather. I was in Phoenix, for the record. <laughs> Where it was really? 80 degrees, so it was about 10 degrees warmer than normal for this time of year down there, and had to come back to 10 degree heat here and snow on the ground. You know, you're not making any brownie points with the rest of us on this. Thing. It was great down there. I highly recommend Phoenix. All right. Well, a little warm up here. We might get to half of what Phoenix had here in the next day. Huh? Yeah, in a few days here. Yeah, the next day or so, uh, some milder conditions on the way. Right now, looking at a bit of light snow, maybe some flurries over central Nebraska from about Grand Island to Loop City and also to the south of Valentine and Ainsworth, that activity gliding towards the southeast. You may encounter just a few flakes of snow, but nothing like we saw yesterday, where many locations saw about three to four inches of snow. It's warmer today as some south winds kick in on the backside of high pressure sliding southeast, and a warm front moves into west central Nebraska. Those temperatures tomorrow even warmer as that warm front inches a little farther to the east. Tomorrow night through Saturday, looking at a more active pattern once again with the chance at accumulated snow and possibly even a brief wintry mix. That light precipitation looks to come in two different rounds, one of them tomorrow night into Friday early on. Then we'll get a brief break during the day Friday for the most part. Then the next chance of some precipitation late in the day Friday or the Friday evening day uh, time part on into Saturday. looks like Friday night the best chance for some moisture. Most of the precipitation should fall as snow, but maybe some locations seeing a wintry mix early on for tomorrow night. The higher snowfall totals of a few inches favors Nebraska, maybe upwards of four inches in western portions of Nebraska. Not looking at a big event, just some light snow amounts once again across the area. Winds don't look to be overly strong, but maybe gusty with the passage of a cold front on Friday and through the day then. Fronts bringing blasts of colder air will keep those temperatures cold for Friday and Saturday. But a warming trend and mainly dry weather starts up for Sunday on into early next week. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are forecast to be seasonal to warmer than normal Monday through February 20th. The better chances of it being warmer than normal are in those later periods. In mid-February, central Nebraska daytime highs average in the low 40s with overnight lows on average in the upper teens. So average this time of year, the low 40s. That precipitation outlook expecting below normal to near normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 20th. Weather factors driving the markets include more dryness and heat in central Argentina and mostly favorable conditions across Brazil. The frigid weather across the northern plains and upper Midwest will contrast with warmth in the southeast. The sharp difference in temperature will continue that precipitation chance across the south, east, and lower Midwest. Drought conditions in the southern plains show no signs of easing the next two weeks. This is leading to more concerns and further reduction in wheat prospects with acreage already at a historic low. Cold air plunging south from the northern plains next week may also add to the stress. In Texas, measurable precipitation last fell October 13th in Amarillo and November 8th in Lubbock. Seriously dry down in Texas yeah. right now. Just amazing there. Actually, in Phoenix, they have, you would think, drought in Phoenix would kind of go hand in hand. They're actually experiencing some drought conditions there also. So yeah. uh, much of the southwest and south central U.S. very dry. And La Nina, of course, playing a factor in that. In central Argentina, high stress will be maintained for filling corn and soybeans. It's likely yield potential will decline until rain arrives or it cools down from the hot to very hot level right now. Crop weather, though, for Brazil, favorable. Heavy rain in central 
and northern parts is slowing some harvest transportation but not adversely affecting soybean conditions. Harvest is starting in south-central Brazil, where large yields are expected. All righty. Well, yeah, that's the Herod Drive. We need a little something going on here. Definitely. We am, you know, we're fortunate to have the snow cover around here, uh, yeah. at least uh, keeping things, uh, a lot of that moisture locked in. Ag information brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Now, what about the jamming? Do we need to be concerned about that at all? Just right now, just in some isolated areas, there is a flood advisory for Nice Jam in southwest Buffalo County. That's until 10 o'clock. Tomorrow morning, an ice jam causing some minor flooding there right along the Platte River, south of Elm Creek and southwest of Odell, Odessa. That flooding also affecting the Blue Hole Recreation Area and rural areas right next to the river. Ditches are full, and that water is approaching Highway 183, but right now nothing of major concern. That's in southwest Buffalo County. And uh, I guess no drought problems there at the moment. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) When you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Producers are feeling more confident in 2018. The EPA gets sued over the latest WOTUS ruling, and we hear from Dr. John Thompson of the University of Iowa on why taxes are hurting the chances for rural areas to have a much-needed veterinarian. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. The Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer turned higher for January, showing some optimism among farmers and ranchers. After trending lower in late 2017, the monthly survey of 400 ag producers from across the U.S. indicated that the measure of producer sentiment climbed to 135 points at the beginning of 2018, up 9 points from December sentiment barometer of 126. Organizers of the survey point to the increase being driven by an improvement in both the barometer's two sub-indexes, the index of current conditions, and the index of future expectations. The improvement in future expectations jumped 11 points, and the index of current conditions rose to a reading of 144 points, up 5 compared to December 2017. Organizers pointed to an improvement in the share of producers reporting that their farms are financially better off compared to a year ago. The early 2018 commodity markets push also helped to raise producers feelings about the future. The base score for the survey is 100 points, thus showing a score below 100 indicates negative sentiment, while a score above 100 indicates positive sentiment. You can read this story and other ag news stories at ruralradio.com. DTN is reporting that attorney generals of 10 states and the District of Columbia have sued the EPA, alleging the agency's final rule suspending the 2015 Waters of the U.S. or WOTUS rule as unlawful. New York Attorney General Eric T. Schneiderman is leading a coalition of 10 states and the District of Columbia in challenging the EPA's action. In recent weeks, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the appellate court level was not the proper venue for challenges of the 2015 WOTUS rule. The action essentially ended the nationwide stay on the rule. As a result, EPA issued a final rule last week to delay WOTUS rule implementation until 2020. The delay is designed to give EPA time to rewrite the rule to include a different definition of of jurisdictional waters. New York is joined by attorneys generals from California, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, Washington, and the District of Columbia. In a recent survey, the AVMA, or American Veterinary Medicine Association, found that 187 areas in the U.S. do not have access to a veterinarian. All of these locations are in remote and rural portions of the country. To try and encourage young vets graduating college to work in these underserved areas, the AVMA has helped set up a program that helps pay off a portion of the vet's student debt, which most 
which recent surveys show averages about $145,000. Unfortunately, Dr. John Thompson, Dean Emeritus of Iowa State University College of Veterinary Medicine, says there's a major hang-up that is hurting the debt repayment program in the form of a tax. The, the awards go to uh, successful applicants that are willing to practice in designated areas uh, and provide uh, specific service, type services in that area. And for, for that, uh, they, are, uh, they are provided $25,000 in debt relief per year for three years, up to $75,000. But when the program was put in place, uh, we didn't realize that they were going to put a, a tax on that. And so uh, it has required the program to provide about $104,000. Uh, to get $75,000 to the uh, successful applicant. That again, Dr. Thompson, Dean Emeritus of Iowa State University College of Veterinary Medicine. Currently, the AVMA is urging Congress to repeal the tax. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters, and at Heidi Hill House, with me, she's with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and Heidi, you will be giving results and, and going over a study that you've been working on headed into three years now that looks at forage production in the rainwater basin wetlands. I'll let you do uh, the talking when it comes to, tell us about this study, give us a little bit of background here. Okay, so the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture, uh, we've done some projects with them in the past looking at general ecology, but one of the things that was becoming clear was that there was an incentive to try to get more grazing in some of the rainwater basin wetlands to try to help control invasive species and have some other benefits for uh, both the people that own the land and the wildlife around them. But there was a lot of uncertainty about what was available in terms of forage in the wetlands, um, how much forage was available, if it was decent quality, can you feasibly feed cattle on what's in a wetland, um, and also how that, that varies throughout the time of year. There was just a lot of uncertainty on, on that. So we set out to do this uh, project, and it covers about three years. The 2017 growing season has a final sample collection in April. So we're almost done with, with all of that work, and we've got all the rest of the data ready to go for the amount of plant material. We also have the percent nitrogen, looking at the, the crude protein content for the first two years done. And so we're going to be presenting on that. It's not quite the finished data, but it's been pretty consistent across the years, so we feel comfortable you know, talking about it. The results. What have you seen? I know you mentioned the study is not quite finished, uh, but talk to us about what you found so far and how this can be applied then to landowners. Well, there's been a couple of really interesting things coming out of it. One is that if we're looking at the dry matter production, the, the actual quantity of forage available, it's actually reasonably similar between reed canary grass, cattails, and river bulrush. And depending on the year and uh, if you're grazing it repeatedly or not, we're looking at anywhere from 9,000 to 12,000 pounds of forage uh, available on those sites per acre. Now, these are areas that were not previously grazed, so some of that is standing dead material from previous years. Uh, but there's a lot of forage out there, and we see that uh, even when we do the, the repeated sampling, when we're going back and sampling an area more than once, with the regrowth, we're still seeing, in some cases, more production than we did when all that dead material was included. So the, the potential production on a lot of these sites is very high. It's a lot lower uh, when you start looking at areas with a lot of the moist soil vegetation, that shorter, uh, more typical wetland 
uh, vegetation that tends to die back more every year. Um, you're looking at about two tons an acre, about 2,000 pounds an acre of forage available there. The quality, um, this study sort of took a worst case scenario on the quality. We really uh, focused on actually combining all of the plant material that we sampled and doing uh, uh, the, our crude protein and digestibility analysis on the whole sample. So we've got a lot of dead material in some of these. Um, but even so, for most of the species, for most of the plant communities, most of the time, we're coming in at at or above the sort of the minimum crude protein necessary to, to keep cattle going. Now, you're not necessarily going to get great gains off of uh, this forage year-round. I mean, obviously, if you're grazing in late summer or dormant season grazing when the crude protein levels are the lowest, you're going to probably have to supplement. Um, but we get up into the 12, 13, uh, 14% crude protein level in, with these samples that are including a lot of dead material throughout most of the actual growing season. The, the May and July sampling we did, quite good crude protein, and you know the cattle are going to select higher than that. So there's certainly the potential for some gains there also. Um, but at a minimum, you should be able to get maintenance off of these wetlands. Heidi Hillhouse, she's with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. You're listening to the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Brandon Mitz. Good afternoon, Dirk. Well, signing day started on a bright note for the new Nebraska Cornhusker football coach with four-star defensive end Caleb Tanner of Lithonia, Georgia, picking the Cornhuskers over Florida, Auburn, Mississippi, and Mississippi State. Coach Frost has made up for a lot of lost time since Nebraska hired him in early December. Mike Riley's class essentially imploded when he was fired, and it stood at a ranking of number 89 in the 247 composite team rankings. Frost, however, is expected to finish with a class of 24 to 27 players that is expected to be in the top 25. One of the big decisions Nebraska still is waiting on is from four-star running back Maurice Washington of Cedar Hill, Texas, Trinity Christian High School. Washington is weighing offers from Nebraska Nebraska, as well as Arizona State, which is recruiting him as a defensive back. The Nebraska men's basketball team continued to roll, beating Minnesota in Minneapolis last night, 91-85. Sophomore post player Isaiah Roby scored a career-high 19 points and pulled down eight boards, and Husker head coach Tim Miles talks about the improvement of his young center. Well, first of all, he had maybe the most difficult matchup in terms of you got a powerful guy like Jordan Murphy, and then Roby just hung in there, and then he started blocking shots. Uh, you know, I mean, it's so impressive to me when he gets a rebound busts out on the break and he just looks like a gazelle out there i mean not many guys in, in a lot of leagues can do that and he does as well as anybody with the win nebraska moves to 18 and 8 overall and 9 and 4 in the big 10 well it's not only cold here in krv and nation but it's also cold across the globe and it's throwing a little bit of a wrench in getting ready for the olympics in pyeongchang south korea Today's morning temperature at the Olympic Stadium was minus 3 degrees Fahrenheit and sidewalks in the nearby stadium cluster have been sparsely populated all day. The temperature during the opening ceremony is expected to be around 14 degrees above zero. Prosecutors in Indiana have charged an illegal immigrant living in the United States with a drunken driving crash that killed Indianapolis Colts linebacker Edwin Jackson and his Uber driver. 37-year-old Miguel Arrego Savala has been charged with four felony counts related to the Sunday crash along Interstate 70 in Indianapolis. The Guatemala National is due in court later today for an initial hearing on charges of causing death while intoxicated and leaving the scene of an accident. Investigators say Arrego Savala was deported in 2007 and again in 2009 and was living illegally in the United States at the time of the crash and a federal immigration charge was filed against him yesterday. 
His defense attorney, Jorge Torres, says his client's immigration status has no bearing on the crash case and notes that Arrego Savala has been living in Indiana for several years and doing construction work in the Indy area. Speaking of the Indianapolis Colts, they had a head coach, and then they didn't. Josh McDaniel, who is or was or is again the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, had agreed, quote-unquote, to become the Colts' new head coach, but then backed out of the verbal agreement late yesterday afternoon. That left the Colts scrambling to find a new head coach long after the coaching carousel had stopped. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to The Rule Radio Network. Mostly cloudy in Nebraska tonight. Lows around 25 in the west to 15 in the east. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska spring football game is sold out one day after tickets went on sale. The school announced today that all tickets were gone for the April 21st scrimmage at the 85,000-seat Memorial Stadium. Season ticket holders were allowed to begin buying tickets yesterday, and about 60,000 were sold in seven hours. The general public could buy tickets beginning today, and they were all sold out within 90 minutes. Senator John Moranti of Gretna wants Nebraska to be able to raise speed limits on most highways, including the stretch of Interstate 80 between Omaha and Lincoln, under a bill that he's introduced. The bill received a public hearing before the legislature's Transportation and Telecommunications Committee on Tuesday. AAA Nebraska spokesperson Rose White testified against the bill, urging the committee to consider a ban on texting while driving and a primary seatbelt law instead. Rather than saving seconds on a clock by increasing the speed limit, increasing the associated risk, we encourage you to consider adopting legislation that has proven to help prevent crashes and save lives. We urge you to vote no on this legislation and not increase the deadly risks that already exist on Nebraska roadways. The bill would give the Department of Transportation the authority to raise the speed limit from 75 miles per hour to 80 miles per hour on stretches of I-80. It also would allow the department to increase speed limits to 70 miles per hour on four-lane highways and 65 miles per hour on portions of state two-lane highways where the speed limit currently is 60 miles per hour. Senator John Moranti offered an answer to safety groups. When South Dakota did the exact same thing as this bill uh, uh, proposes to do, they saw a substantial reduction in in fatalities. Uh, So it's not simply a matter of research, it is also a a matter of practical application. The bill has received the backing of Governor Pete Ricketts. A 19-year-old former Nebraska high school football standout has been sentenced up to 40 years in prison for his role in a sex trafficking case. D. Arts Doublefield was sentenced Monday to 20 to 40 years after pleading guilty in October to attempted human trafficking, aiding and abetting child sexual assault, and child pornography possession. Prosecutors say he arranged for a man to have sex with a 15-year-old girl, and he recorded the encounter for money, which he and the girl shared. Kansas Governor Jeff Collier is expected to outline proposals for making Kansas government more transparent during an address to the legislature and lawmakers, hoping he also spells out where he stands on public school funding. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. During the recent American Sheep Industry Convention, I had the opportunity to go 
where not many folks get to go, and that's the kitchen. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During our stay at the Marriott River Center in San Antonio, I got this crazy idea that I wanted to meet the executive chef, Matt Sadaman, to find out his thoughts about the new adventure they were taking on, and that was an entire convention meal wrapped around lamb. So um, first what we look at is obviously the protein is the most important thing and um, it's been really kind of fun and um, getting the team engaged in utilizing lamb. It's not a protein that we typically use in the banquet world so it's been fun and exciting uh, for us to look at the product, play around some different techniques. Um, lamb lasagna never had before um, which we, we did yesterday. The lamb shank was really cool and flavorful. Um, Chef Alex actually created the menus um, and then we're using the loin. Uh, for a plated function tomorrow. So when you guys are talking about coming up with these ideas and these recipes, how can somebody take what you're doing here and recreate it in their own kitchen? Um, I mean, basically the recipes we created from scratch, um, I guess the easiest thing or maybe a recommendation that I would make is take a recipe that you like, whether it's lasagna or tacos, um, whatever the application is, and you can sub in lamb um, as the, the protein. Uh, similar to what people do for, you know, tacos, you could take that same preparation, use the same seasonings, but then utilize lamb, and, and you get that kind of cool and unique flavor from lamb and, and a new technique. And typically, you don't think of lamb in Southwest cuisine as far as tacos, but we were playing around with fajitas, and fajitas have been awesome. Um, so that's, you know, something we're definitely going to add to our, our uh, toolkit, if you will. Um, when we're thinking about menus moving forward. Well, it's kind of a neat option then for folks who will be attending banquets in the future. you got a chance to kind of play with it right. and, and use sheep producers as your guinea pig, shall we say, Yeah. And, and come up with some great ideas and add that for future options. Mm -hmm. You look at the product, what has got to be your favorite cut? Um, actually, I think the shank. It's uh, so flavorful and it's actually for the home cook, I think it's a good uh, application as well because it's very forgiving. There's a lot of fat, uh, it's hard to overcook. Um, it, it doesn't really take much to, to cook it. You basically braise it, which is a cooking technique by submerging the protein in water or a flavorful liquid. Um, and you can really just pop it in the oven, let it go, uh, come back, and then team it up with a, a nice starch like potatoes or a farro, um, and then a really great green vegetable. So it's pretty easy. It's, uh, like I said, it's kind of hard to, uh, to ruin it. So far, the process for you guys, are you, are you looking, you talked about maybe adding some new things into that menu for future. Any other areas that you're going to be looking to maybe help promote a product that's grown right here in America? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for us to kind of educate our guests too. Um, you know, we do do a lot of beef and uh, chicken options, but I think throwing some lamb options out there and, you know, when we're doing these corporate tastings, maybe offer it up and allow people to experience lamb in maybe a whole new way that they haven't before. I think it's kind of important and um, definitely through this whole process that's the key learning that we've, we've learned as a team is, uh, you know, lamb is very versatile. I was going to ask, what was, the, what was the learning scale for your staff and the other chefs that you work with here at the hotel at the Marriott to, to come up with these ideas? I mean, you've got a great man who has just came up with an entire menu for you guys. Right. But to have to go back to the discussion of this is what we're going to make, but this is how we're going to do it compared to what we're used to cooking when it comes to other proteins. Well, it just comes with experience. Um, you know, Chef Alex is very comfortable, uh, you know, creating menus. Um, he knows flavors really well. And in a chef's world, once you master those kind of basic techniques, it's really easy to kind of plug and play. Sure, Alex has taken off this, what we call sinew or silver skin. Um, basically, it's a tendon that holds the muscle, uh, which is the protein, to the bone. 
Um, you remove that because your body can't digest it. It's kind of chewy. So you remove that sinew um, to ensure you, when you're eating that protein, it's nice and tender. For you, what's been the favorite part of this whole process? Um, I think that watching my team learn something new has been really kind of cool. Um, you know, as, as a chef of uh, you know, two hotels, uh, we do a lot of the same things. Um, and it's always a pleasure when we get these kind of uh, different groups and we can utilize these cool proteins because the team is learning, um, the management team is learning, um, it's fun, it's engaging. We've had executive committee members uh, from other areas of the hotel come by because they want to see the lamb dishes, um, our director of event operations and our director of uh, rooms both came down today and ate lamb. Um, so it was kind of cool to have them come through the kitchen and see what we're doing from a culinary standpoint. And um, there's been a lot of buzz around both hotels about, about lamb. So it's been pretty cool. And who knows, maybe that buzz will get them to stop at the grocery store and pick some up to feed to their own family. Exactly. Well, thanks, Chef, for taking some time to talk to us. Well, thank you. And supplying all that lamb for the ASI convention came from a rancher out of Oregon. Meet Reed Anderson. Sure, so I'm a fourth generation sheep uh, rancher in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Uh, Oregon is the grass seed capital of the world. Uh, sheep are very conducive to that kind of uh, resource we have available to us. And uh, so we, we have raised uh, uh, kind of a domestic animal that, that is, uh, does very well on the, the grass that we have available. And they're, they're breeds from uh, northern England, e English breeds, because our climate is fairly the same as theirs. So uh, we, we raise what we kind of have is meat breeds with, with wool. So now you know. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of the livestock futures trade now with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a choppy day in the uh, cattle market, but uh, another down day in the hogs. Over in the cattle, uh, we just bounced around all day long, finishing mixed in the live cattle and in the feeders. The uh, front end uh, on both a little bit lower, uh, the back end a little bit higher. So uh, definitely uh, signifying some uh, bear spreading taking place in the market. Really uh, pretty quiet in the cash end of things, too. The uh, cutouts at noon for the cattle uh, back up after being down yesterday, but still moderate to light volume in the box trade. Uh, and packers uh, just seem to be uh, on the endangered species list for the most part. Uh, I haven't really heard of anything uh, taking place out in the country. So uh, markets just bouncing back and forth and, uh, like I say, finishing mixed. Over in the hogs, under pressure again. It sure appears that we're uh, unloading uh, a lot of long positions at this point. It looks like uh, probably funds the uh, cash near steady uh, once again, and uh, but uh, the uh, futures uh, finding uh, a lot of selling. Uh, so we had some triple-digit losses there. So uh, cutouts at noon back up after being sharply lower last night, uh, but that didn't. Uh, halt the uh, selling that took place throughout the day. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Week-to-date estimate on slaughter cattle, 346,000 so far, 5,000 less than last week, 1,393,000 hogs, 3,000 less than one week ago. <laughs> 
are now available for the Nebraska Agricultural Youth Institute. Good afternoon. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you here on the Rural Radio Network. We're going to visit with Kristen Cam about that. She's our guest today from the Nebraska Department of Agriculture. And Kristen, NAYI is an event you guys host every year during the summer, but applications are available now. Absolutely. NAYI has a very long history. It's actually entering its 47th year the longest running program of its kind in the nation and so we're very excited about what we have upcoming this year. Um, NAYI is a a wonderful opportunity. It's a five-day summer program for these high school students to come together. They get to learn more about agriculture. They get to learn about the careers available in agriculture, how to obtain those careers. We have a lot of fun too. They have a street dance. We have a state dinner where everyone gets to dress up in uh, suits and boots and prom dresses. And they also get to go through the experience of learning about uh, dining etiquette and and things that will help them, um, interviews for career fairs, things that are going to help them uh, a long long way down the road. Um, I will say that I am a former NAYI delegate, and it was amazing to me coming to college and seeing all of the people that I already knew in my dorm room or in my dorm um, based on the people that I met at NAYI. So it's a really wonderful program. And even though, Kristen, agriculture is in the title, this really is for kids that are interested in agriculture that you don't have to be off of a farmer ranch. Absolutely. We have had a large increase in the number of urban students that are interested in agriculture uh, coming to NAYI just to discover more about the industry. We have some really top-notch speakers from all of our commodity groups that help explain all of the different crops and, and livestock that are grown here in the state. Um, but it really is an eye-opening experience for students of any background, rural or urban, to come and get that opportunity to learn more. Um, there are so many careers available in the agriculture industry. You uh, don't have to just be a farmer to be involved in agriculture, and it's important for students to realize that. And there is a growing number of careers available, and you know, not enough students to fill those careers. So it's a really wonderful opportunity for everyone to expand their horizons and learn more. And looking at this year specifically, Kristen, what are some of the highlights? Well, the 2018 NAYI is uh, gearing up to be one of the best. Um, I I know I say that every year, um, and it just every year surpasses my expectations. Um, Some of the highlights are going to be students' opportunity to uh, participate in a farm management game with their individual groups. Um, and this is an opportunity for them to uh, play the markets and, and see how it goes, uh, just like in real life. Um, there will be a number of speakers on entrepreneurship and things along those lines. And, of course, we'll have a career fair where they can uh, interact with different ag organizations and really get uh, more involved in the ag industry through networking with all of the commodity groups and uh, folks along those lines. For the important part, your application process has changed just a little bit. How do people apply? Absolutely. So the application is all online this year. So if you just go to uh, the Nebraska Department of Agriculture website, it's nda.nebraska.gov slash n-a-y-i. You can find the application there. You fill it out. You submit it to us via email by April 15th at 11.59 p.m. Thanks so much. It's Kristen Cam with the Nebraska Department of Agriculture talking about applications being open for this year's Nebraska Agricultural Youth Institute. For more, you can visit ruralradio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. A lot of action in the grain markets today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we watch double-digit gains in uh, winter wheat futures. 
corn was slightly higher as well, soybeans lower, but soy meal jumped today. We're with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Remember four months ago we talked front month corn, 350, 350 yeah. day after day. It's a different story now. Yeah, I mean, we're only at 365, but it feels like we've traveled the, to the moon, uh, you know, and to see the upward price action here in the wheat markets leading it higher, I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, the drought down south of you guys is, is something that's going to continue to be monitored, and uh, at this point, I think, you know, you do have some pressure for folks who, you know, made those sales last summer. If you were fortunate enough to probably price some grain at up around $6 at, at that rally we got, you know, would have been July time frame a year ago, um, You've got to be worried, and I mean, I got guys I work with who are worried about being able to deliver on that. And it's, you know, what do you do? So they're covered with calls or trying to buy something here to get some upside. I think that's a little bit of it. I also think that there's some money flow that's uh, being directed that way. Some of the bigger investment banks are really pointing towards commodities as some place to put money now. Um, now I'm not sure that's going to push wheat too far here. I think a lot of it has to do with weather. You know, if you're a wheat trader, this is where kind of put options become a good option. Uh, I think we're still a little cheap to be going that route, but we start hitting. Th- you know, we're at 510. So on July, if we start getting up 550 to 570, you might be able to get a floor in somewhere around 550, which I think is a really attractive option. You start going to contract here, again, you don't know if, if you're going to have anything. Now, the bet would be over the last couple of years, we will get the rain. And if we do, I think this thing could fall rather quickly. I'm um, not saying we'll see sub 450 again, but I do think we could fall back very, very rapidly to say 480, 490, 470. Any price action here based on tomorrow's report yeah report tomorrow not a big deal here um i think it'll be interesting to see how they attack the south american numbers um argentina is dry as we know we are looking at some rain this weekend and then into the two-week forecast it looked a little wetter today on the model runs although you can't really trust that it's very warm there so they're getting these kind of flash storms that you know as you guys know in, in the nebraska area some guys get it some guys don't I do think we're, we're getting to some points in the crop year where uh, if rain doesn't happen, you're going to start seeing some aggressive write-downs on the crop. But, you know, it's been difficult to buy weather rallies this last three or four years. So I think the trade maybe goes in and tried to fade it. Um, again, though, corn, I think 372. A lot of folks with March positions on, they got to deal with the delivery. Uh, my advice would be to bail around 370 and try to buy the May somewhere closer to that level. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst. Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain.